All right, it's good to be here, good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm always humbled every opportunity to be able to preach from God's Word. And so I'm thankful for this opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Walker, for allowing me to be able to come here and, and just uh, try to be a blessing to this church. So um, before I get started, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, again, my name is Jim Patzer, my wife Tammy. Uh, my wife and I got saved later in life. We didn't get saved till we were 30 years of age. Uh, late bloomers. We were not brought up in Christian homes, neither one of us. Um, my mom taught me about God. She believed in God, but we never went to church. And God, to me, was um, a genie in a bottle. I prayed to God when I needed something. Uh, I tried to get God to prove he existed. I, I, I challenged him. Uh, that's who God was to me. He was, he was the guy I went to when I didn't study for my test, Okay when I was in high school, and I needed help getting through that test. But the funny thing was, when I, did, when I would pass that test, uh, I didn't have time to thank him. I then took credit for, oh, I did a lot better on that than I thought I would. I didn't give God the glory. So we were, it wasn't until the age of 30, uh, my wife and I uh, started to have a desire for religion, and we, we went to uh, a Catholic church. Uh, we started going to the Catholic Church. We became Catholics, and we were married in the Catholic Church. So my wife often tells me that our marriage isn't legally binding. <laughs> so therefore, uh, so, um, so the husband of one wife might be in question right now, but no. Uh, so we joke about that. But uh, God used that scenario because there was a draw. There was a call to something, and Catholics talk about God. Uh, they... they they were drawing us, and, and, and it was through that we moved. Uh, we were living in Michigan at the time, and uh, I was going to college out there, and we moved back to Helena. So I got a job working with Blue Cross Blue Shield, and through there we started checking out all the, Baptist, or all the uh, Catholic churches there and uh, found a church, settled into a church, and then I decided I missed the military after serving for four years in the Air Force, that I joined the Air National Guard and I had to go off to tech school. And while I was away at tech school, my wife was invited uh, by a lady she worked with to visit uh, or to go to a ladies' retreat. And she enjoyed the ladies' retreat. And then, uh, thankfully, the lady, her friend Anna, had the boldness to invite her to church. And she went to that church. And Tammy was so excited. We had one, uh, one, one of our children, our oldest, Ashley, was just an infant at the time. And we would go to church at the Catholic church, and we'd have to sit in the cry room. And you sit in the cry room, you get nothing but a lot of crying. Because you're not the only one in there. Everybody's crying child is in there. So we weren't getting anything. We weren't being fed. And she went to this church, and uh, they had a daycare, <laughs> a nursery. And they, they took the baby, and she, she got to sit up, and she got to hear the message. And, and so when I came back from tech school, uh, I told Tammy, I said, hey, man, I really, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't make it to church one time while I was away at tech school. I was focused on studying, getting stuff done. I'm, I'm excited to get back into church. And Tammy said, Jim, would you be willing to try one more church? And I was like, sure, but where would you find another Catholic church? We've hit them all in Helena. And she said, it's not a Catholic church, it's a Baptist church. I was like, what's a Baptist? <laughs> and uh, she said, I don't know, but they got a nursery, so... You need to try it. So we went. I remember coming into the church at Friendship Baptist Church, 
pastor class came in. He introduced himself. We visited people, everybody. The name of the church is Friendship Baptist Church. I started to think that the name came from because of all the people. Everybody shook our hand in that church that day. And Anna, Tammy's friend, and her husband, Neil, sat beside us as we sat down to hear the message. And as the pastor told people where to turn in Scripture, we didn't have a Bible. And so Neil reached down, grabbed a Bible, turned to where it needed to be, and handed it to me, and he sat right next to me. And every time pastor went to a different passage, Neil, I had no clue where to go. I, I didn't, we didn't carry a Bible to church. And when we left... Tammy and I were driving home, and I could sense my wife was a little nervous, but she finally got up the nerve to say, what did you think? And I said, I think we found a new church. I said, we are hearing the word of God being preached and taught, and, and everything pastor told us, he didn't tell us something without backing it up with scripture. He constantly, even when he read scripture, he backed scripture up with scripture. And that, that really pressed. And, and so in a matter of time, we went back one night. The church had a movie night, and they were showing Left Behind. And as they showed the movie Left Behind, my wife and I went, and they took Ashley again to the daycare. We got to enjoy the movie and the fellowship. And when we left, we were heading home. And again, I could sense my wife had some apprehension. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, Jim, I don't want to be left behind. And I said, neither do I. And we invited Pastor over to our house later that week, and he led us to the Lord on January 26, 2001. Uh, and so <clears throat> we're fairly young Christians. In fact, uh, at, at the age of 18, I left for Bible college. And uh, uh, an 18-year-old Christian, 48 years of age, leaving to go to Bible college. And we went to West Coast Baptist College. And we, that was a step in faith. To leave Montana, to, to lose over half my income, I, I got a retirement from the Air Force, to lose my half, ha, over half my income, and to move to a place where my house payment doubled. But God said, this is where I want you. And we stepped out in faith, and God showed us. Uh, he took care of everything, and our faith grew. And going to Bible college was huge for me because Pastor Class wanted me to come work for him when I got done, after I retired. But Tammy hit me with a challenging question. She said, Jim, what do we have to offer the pastor? What do we have to offer Friendship Baptist Church? And we realized we needed more training. And so we stepped out. We went in faith. I went to West Coast Baptist College, spent uh, just under two years there. Uh, I already had a degree, so I didn't need the math. I didn't need the English. All I needed was Bible the Bible classes, the homiletics, and it was an absolute pleasure to be there. It's an amazing school, and I'm thankful for Pastor Chapel, Dr. Getch, uh, the faculty and staff at West Coast Baptist College and Lancaster Baptist Church because they are doing things in an amazing way down there. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I'll be open for questions afterwards, too, uh, but... Uh, I just wanted to share a little bit about my wife and I and uh, give you a little information about us. So with that, we'll go ahead and get into our, uh, our I guess before we get into the message, I want to open in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, again, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach from your word. It's humbling because, Father, I'm working with your word. And, Father, so I pray that you'll get me out of the way. Your word will go forth as you desire it to go. I pray this morning that 
It's not my voice that's heard, but it's yours. Uh, I pray for a congregation that is receptive, that has uh, receptive minds and receptive hearts to receive your word this morning, that we would strive to be doers of your word, not hearers only, that we would strive to be obedient to your word. The word tells us if we love you, we will keep your commandments. Father, I pray each and every one in here will love you with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. Now, Father, fill me with your spirit. May your word go forth. May you receive all the glory, honor, and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, if you have a handout, you'll see there our text this morning is in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 is where our text will be this morning. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you is the title of this morning's message. And we know that this mind we're talking about is the mind of Jesus Christ. So we're saying let this mind, let the mind of Jesus Christ be in you, be in us, each and every one of us as believers. And what what are we talking about here? What mindset are we talking about? What kind of mind does Jesus have? And for us to get an, a better understanding, we just need to go back one verse. In verse 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So when I think, what I'm going to show you is I want to give you a, a, an idea of the difference between the mindset of God, the mindset of Jesus Christ, and what the mind of man, how the man, man thinks. See, um, the Bible makes it very clear. The Bible is not of any private interpretation. But oftentimes, uh, people like to twist Scripture to make it work in their favor. And, and this is one of those passages where when we look at look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. I, th I see that verse and I think to myself, oh, okay, well... I'm thankful God has given me, I have a really nice truck. I have a half-ton GMC um, pickup truck, and I, I, I really like my truck. And, and I'm a GMC guy, I'm a Chevy guy, but I, I, I really like that half-ton. But I got a buddy of mine who has a three-quarter ton, and I really want a three-quarter ton. I settled for the half-ton, but I want. See, so I'm not looking on my things. I'm looking on the things of others. See, uh, I, my, my, my God blessed me with a beautiful home. I, I'm so thankful. We moved here in the nick of time. I, I actually finished my last semester at West Coast Baptist College online because the COVID thing was happening. Everything was getting crazy. And I just felt the leading of the Holy Spirit saying, you need to get to Montana now. And we moved. And we were able to get into our home before housing went ballistic. And so God blessed us with a beautiful home. But again, I got this buddy of mine. He's got a beautiful home too, but he's got a shop. <laughs> and I really want a shop, okay? I'm, I'm not joking. I really want a shop, okay? So I, I'm not looking on my things. I'm looking on things of others. Um, so 
you know, the, the scripture's not of any private interpretation, and oftentimes what we have to think is, uh, is that really what God is saying there? And if we look and we think about the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Well, hold it. I'm, I'm glamorizing covetousness here. But isn't that what it's saying? Look, I'm not looking on my things, I'm looking on other things. No, that, now, now I want you to show you the mind of Christ. See, Jesus Christ is standing in heaven. He, he's at the top of the food chain, okay? He's, he's, he's top dog. He's up at the top. And he's looking down on us. And Jesus is seeing sinful man lost in their sins in need of a redeemer. As Jesus looks at the Father, what, what do we do? Father, what do we do? We're up here in heaven. Everything's perfect. We have no sin. We have no problems. I have a beautiful mansion. Life is good in heaven. What do we do? And God the Father looks at his son and says, well, their only hope is for you to give your life. Your shed blood is what is required for them. Jesus is not looking on the things of, of heaven, on, on his needs and his desires, as he looks at us and sees our needs and our desires. And he wants to help us. So what does Jesus do? He goes from the top of the ladder and lowers himself to the bottom rung. Jesus Christ allows the Holy Spirit to lay him within the womb of his own creation, Mary. And Jesus puts on flesh, is born a child, a baby, born in a stable, laid in a manger. Gee, uh, this is our God. And if that isn't enough, our God goes through childhood, <laughs> infancy, through, through the teenage years. How, how do we survive those, right? He goes through the teenage years. He becomes a young man, an adult. And eventually, he does wonderful works, does all these amazing miracles. But ultimately, the end result is he ends up on the cross of Calvary. Hung from a cross, beaten to un, beaten unrecognizable. This is our God who had everything and gave it all up so that he could come down because he saw our need. He didn't look on his own things. He looked on the things of others, on the needs of others. That's the difference. See, that's, that's, having, that's being spiritually minded. But man chooses to be carnally minded. And we're warned in Scripture in Romans 8, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you're here for my Sunday school lesson, I made the comment, if we would only listen to God right out the gate, our lives would be so much better. But we often, uh, we resort to the carnally minded, which is death, separation from God, uh, no fellowship with God, 
But if we would be spiritually minded, we get peace. What is it we all want in life? We just want peace. Peace and quiet. We, but why do many of us live in the state of Montana? Because it's peaceful and there's a lot less people. Well, it used to be anyway. But we, we want that. And God tells us, be spiritually minded and you'll have that. But if you continue to be carnally minded, it's, it's death. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to not end well for you. So my proposition to you this morning is, do you have the mind of Christ? Are you willing to let this mind, Christ's mind, be in you? This morning I want to show you three pivotal, pivotal concepts we all can learn from Jesus' life that will help us to achieve a mind like his. And the first concept is the position of Christ. The position of Christ. And I want you to see that. That's in verses 6 and 7. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. <coughs> so with the position of Christ, the first thing I want you to see, and we're going to lay out this position. It's very, this is important, so hang in there with me. The first thing we see with the position of Christ is he's, it's pre, he's pre-existent. Jesus Christ is the eternally pre-existent Son of God. He existed before His incarnation. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God. The phrase, who being, is a present participle describing the condition before Jesus became flesh. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was, small word, but it refers to the continual eternal existence of Jesus. The beginning was, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It deals with his eternal existence before the beginning, which is the moment God began to create. So Jesus had to be in the beginning he had to be there for the creation. The only person who existed before creation was God alone. And what do we believe about our God? He's a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. He is one God, but he exists in three parts, in three uh, essence, per se. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And if we look at Genesis 1-2, we see, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the faces of the water. So we see God. We think of God the Father. He's there. We, think of, we see the Spirit. The Spirit was there. But was Jesus there? We don't see a reference to God the Son being a part of, uh, of the creation. But I want you to see, when we, it goes back to John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word. The Greek word for word in John 1.1 is logos. And logos means message. Okay, well that doesn't mean Jesus, so how do we know that the word in John 1.1 is referring to Jesus? How can we be sure? We go down to John 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. If we think back to the prophecy of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says that our God would be born of a virgin. 
and his name would be Emmanuel. To be born of a virgin means our God had to put on flesh. He was born. He became man. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. It lines right up in John 1.14 with Isaiah 7.14. That Jesus Christ is who is being referred to in the Word. So how do we know that he was part of creation? John 1, verse 3 says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Therefore, Jesus Christ was in the beginning, and he was a part of creation. It may not say it in Genesis, but it is clearly stated in John. It's all summed up in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. The prophets brought the message of a coming Messiah. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. We no longer need prophets because Jesus Christ in his perfect revelation has provided us his word, has revealed himself, and so we are spoken to by Christ now, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He made the worlds. And who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, in the image of God, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is preexistent. He is God. We need to understand that. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus is the message by which God speaks to us today and is the God who existed before creation. But that, it's not only that he was preexistent. I want you to see uh, that his position is personal. The phrase form of God indicates that Jesus was God in the flesh. Form of God. We, we lay that out. He was God in the flesh. The Greek word for form is morphe which means the form by which a person or thing strikes the vision. This means Jesus was in the image of God. He struck the vision of God. He was laid in the womb by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. He was uh, deity uh, wrapped in humanity. The word form means the outward expression of an inward nature. The outward expression of an inward nature. Jesus Christ is therefore the outward expression of God. So when you saw Jesus, you saw God. John 10.30, Jesus says for himself, I and my Father are one. Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the second part of the Trinity, God the Son, all the fullness of the Godhead. He is equal to God the Father. So we can clearly see the position of Jesus. It is high and lifted up. Yet the mind of Christ is an attitude that says, I cannot keep my privileges to myself. I must use them for others. And this leads us to our next concept, which is the pursuit of Christ. The pursuit of Christ. Well, we see this in verse 7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. With regards to the pursuit of Christ, I want you to see his pursuit of submission. 
in verse, the first part of verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. The word reputation comes from the Greek word keno, which speaks of Jesus' willingness to empty himself, not of his deity, but of the privilege of his deity. He didn't give up his deity. He was still God. He just did not use the privilege of his deity. He did not selfishly grasp at that lofty position. He was willing to temporarily lay it aside to accomplish his Father's will. He never surrendered his deity. He only surrendered the expression of it. As I said before, Jesus was deity wrapped in humanity. But why? Why would Jesus do this? Because he submitted to the will of the Father. Yet not my will, but thine be done. You're going to hear that a lot in this message today. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Submission. Mm. That's a bad word today. Submitting. Obeying. It's not a word that's very well received in society today. We see it all around. Wives don't want to submit to their husbands. Oh, that seems sexist. Ephesians 5, and 23 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. <clears throat> For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Clearly, God gives direction to wives that they are to submit themselves to their husbands. God is not sexist. God has a perfect... Remember I said, if we would only listen to God, but we get it in our minds that we know better than God. And, and, and therefore, uh, we see <coughs> women who want to rebel against God because this is a man book. This book, well, <coughs> men, and men, you know, some of you are probably sitting back going, no, oh, this guy's a preacher, all right? All right? Are you listening, you know, as you're nudging your wife? But let, let's not forget, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I remember a number of years back when we were attending Temple Baptist Church, we moved up to Great Falls. And my wife started doing a Bible study with one of the ladies in there. And it was a Bible study on how to be a helpmeet to their husband. They were learning their role as a wife. And, and I remember, I don't remember how deep, they were probably halfway through it or partway in it or maybe first few weeks into it, I can't remember. Um, but I just remember my wife coming in one, one evening and I, I was doing something. And I said, oh, hey, honey, how did the Bible study go? And she comes in and throws her books down on the table and says, well, essentially I've learned I'm your slave. I'm going to bed. And off she went. And I was like, whoa, okay. We'll talk about it tomorrow when she's a little more calmed down. But as the time passed, eventually my wife sat down with me and she sat there and she looked at me and she said, Jim, it's amazing to see that God has shown me that as you treat me the way you're supposed to, and you love me the way that you do, I find it very easy to submit to you. Men, if you want wives to be obedient to the word of God, you've got to do your part. 
We, we have to do our part. It's not about wives uh, bringing you the TV remote and putting dinner on the table. It's about loving your wife like Jesus loved the church. and He gave his life for the church. Are you willing to give your life for your wife? They need to see that. They need to know that you love them that much. And when you do that, it's not about the wife is lesser than the husband. They're equal. Jesus is not lesser than the Father. They're equal. But Jesus understood His role as the Son of God. And He submitted to the Father. The wife and husband are equal. But God has laid out roles. And we need to understand what our role is. And we need to fulfill that role. It's not about uh, a lordship. It's about working together. But it's not just wives or husbands, but how about children? Children don't want to submit to their parents. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Our children often rebel. We tell them to do something. I, I got a 16-year-old son at home, and trust me, uh, you know, uh, you can talk to your blue in the face sometimes to get him to take out the garbage or to clean his room. Oh, my God, clean his room. But... We have to get them to understand it's through obedience uh, to God first that they will be obedient to their parents. Employees don't want to submit to their employers. Ephesians 6, verse 5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. The concept of this is, this is talking to those servants is referring to slaves. Slaves, you're to obey your masters. You're saying God's okay with slavery? No, it didn't say God's okay with slavery, but he understood that it's what man was doing, and therefore uh, he allowed it, but he told servants, you need to obey your masters. But it's just like the wife. Masters, you take care of your servants. You're to, do, you're, you're to provide for their needs because they're working for you. You put food on their table. You, you know, and we think of this as, well, slavery is wrong, and we're brought up in this country, and it is. While it is wrong, we have to understand there's a form of slavery that is still, consi- that is still carried on in this country today. The United States military is a form of slavery, whether you believe it or not. I signed a contract that said, I will do, to the, to, to the giving of my life, I will do what's necessary to protect the Constitution of the United States of America. I will obey the officers appointed over me. I am a slave to the nation. I'm not allowed in uniform to express who I, vote, who I want to vote for. Because the military says you will not do that. I am not... Supposed to use the name of Jesus if, a, if, a, an, if an officer tells me I'm not to do that in uniform. See, so the, the, I lose freedoms. I'm, our military fights for our freedoms, but they give up freedoms to do it. And so there is this form of slavery that exists in the nation today, but the government promises to provide for me. And they did a very good job. If there's one thing the government has done well, it's the military. It's not a perfect system, 
but they take good care of us. And it makes you want to work for them. And that's what he's saying here. Servants, obey your man. Employees, we can apply that to the employee. I, I realize some of us probably have jobs and we feel like we're in sla- slavery, you know. Uh, but ultimately, what's it saying here? We are to give our best as unto Christ. So it doesn't matter what you do. Remember that you don't work for your boss or your supervisor or your manager. You work for Jesus Christ. And if you work for him, your supervisor, your manager, or your boss will benefit from it. They'll think you're the best employee ever if you're giving Jesus your best. But that's not all. Lastly, I want to point out that church members don't want to submit to their pastor. Where do you get that? Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And it's backed up by Hebrews 13, verse 17, that says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So you understand as church members, as members of a church, the pastor is the authority of the church. I, I, I like Sorensen really lays this out nicely in, in, in his uh, commentary. He says, the context clearly is of those who are in spiritual leadership within the context of the local church. This unquestionably refers to the office of the pastor. A godly Christian in this day is to obey their pastor and to submit to his authority. But this cuts across the grain of the old nature. Yet in so yielding ourselves, we evidence spiritual maturity. That's that being spiritually minded. But spiritual immaturity, or carnally minded, is evidenced by a rebellious and willful spirit. Spiritual maturity is found in just the opposite. In human society, God has ordained three basic institutions. The home, the government, and the church. And and, and we see that God has delegated authority in each one of those. I want you to understand, in the home, men, you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders in your home. The government, the president, should be a spiritual leader of our nation. And the church, the pastor, is the spiritual leader of the church. But I want you to understand, all three of them are second in command. Because the home and the government and the church are all under God. Jesus Christ is the head of the home, the government, and the church. The pastor is the under-shepherd. Men, you're second in command. Jesus should be the head of your household, and you should be obedient to him. And our president should be obediently following Jesus Christ in how to lead this nation. And if you don't want your home or your church to look like what our nation looks like right now, keep Jesus the focus. I want you to see that there are, that, but it's not just these. I want you to see that there are people uh, 
all over this country, uh, all over this world, that are failing to submit. It's not just failing to wives failing to submit. It's not just past people not failing, uh, failing to submit to the, their pastor. But people do not want to submit to any authority. We're seeing it's it's crazy what we're seeing in this world today. I never thought in my life I would see our nation supporting defunding the police, getting rid of our police force, and glamorizing the the bad guys. Video games. Grand Theft Auto is a video game that glamorizes stealing cars and killing cops. And kids play this for fun. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, and, and our cops are coming under heinous attacks. We need to be praying for our men in blue. But it's not just, the, it's not just that. It's, look at our own, uh, our own Supreme Court justices have come under attack over their decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. For f- over 50 years, it has been peaceful because we have accepted the fact that abortion was made legal by the federal government. And now that it's not been made illegal, it's only been turned over to the states. We're calling for the death of Supreme Court justices, and it's not just private people. We're hearing it from our senators. When a senator stands at, uh, on video, and you can see him saying, we're coming after you, that man should be in jail. We don't want to submit to authority. That's, you know, and and there's a total disregard for our laws, even by the lawmakers. So that is not the only problem, though. Many of us place too much emphasis on our own position. We put so much emphasis on where we are in our life, on the position we hold. I know it was very important for me. Once I committed, uh, I'd been in, I served four years in the Air Force, stationed in Minot, North Dakota. Why not my not? Freezing's the reason I got out of there. So, and so I came back to Montana, said never complain about another winter in Montana ever again, and I don't. Okay? But after four years of being out, or, or being out for five years, I missed the military. I realized that was my call. I loved the military life. It was so nice to get up every morning, open my closet, and go, hmm, what do I wear today? It was so nice. <laughs> the hardest thing to, to do was to retire and actually go to the closet and go, what am I going to wear today? So ultimately, but... Uh, lost my train of thought there. Um, once I committed, I, I decided to go back in the guard. And I was a traditional guardsman at first, but a full-time position opened up, and I told my wife I wanted to apply for it. I wanted to get back full-time in the guard. I wanted to be military. It was an active duty position. So while I was not, sir, uh, the, the beauty of active duty AGR in the guard is you stay in, I stayed in Great Falls, Montana for the next 16 years. Did my entire career. No PCSing. Loved it. I have to stay right here in Montana, serve my country, serve my state. And it was, it was just nice. But once I committed to that, I went back in as a senior airman. And I told myself, man, I'm going to be a chief before I retire. I'm going to the top of the NCO, the enlisted force structure. I committed to that. That's, I strive for that. And, and we get into that, and people like that. We, want, we like our position. I'm going to be the manager. 
You know, uh, uh, I, you know, working kids in fast food restaurants. You know, one day I'll be on fries, and that's when the big bucks start rolling in, right? <laughs> but it doesn't matter how low you are, you're always looking up. You're always trying to get to the top of the ladder or, or climbing up the ladder. We place so much emphasis on this. Remember Jesus' position? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet He lowered Himself to that of a servant and became the servant of servants. He was the servant of servants. We often feel like many things are below us or beneath us. This is beneath me. I saw this in the military. I saw guys who, as an airman, I'm doing work, and they weren't going to pick up a broom and help me sweep. It wasn't their job. Uh, that's, that was below them to clean a toilet. As a master sergeant uh, in, in the Montana Air National Guard, I cleaned toilets right alongside my airmen because you lead by example. If you expect them, you don't expect anybody to do anything that you're not willing to do yourself. We see it uh, all over the place. Supervisors, this is, you know, I pay people to do that. I'm not going to do it. We get into these positions. We get this mindset that with rank, or, or actually I want to show this is what Pastor Paul Chapel said. Uh, I, I love this quote. He said, we get the mindset that with rank, greatness is achieved. But Jesus teaches us that you can have the greatest ministry and the greatest influence many times by not being at the top of the flow chart, but by being in the center of the will of God. It's not by being at the top of the flow chart that we receive greatness or, or we see ministry thrive. It's by being in the center of the will of God. The mind of Christ says, not my will, but thine be done. Won't you let this mind be in you? But I also want you to see in the latter part of verse 7, it said, he was made in the likeness of men. Jesus left the comforts of heaven and descended to earth to live amongst us. The idea here is that the way up is down. We must descend into greatness. Paul Chapel again, he states, Jesus shows us that greatness is not measured by self-will, but by self-abandonment. It's, uh, it's the ex idea of, uh, I love the example that Dr. Getch gave one time. He talks about, Dr. Getch talks about uh, a ladder. And I was talking, Jesus is at the top of the ladder. But Jesus lowers himself to the bottom rung. He goes to the bottom for us. And it's through humility that Jesus does this. And James shows us in 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. What I want you to see is, because of Jesus doing what He did and lowering Himself, so many of us are trying to get to the top and be the best at what we do, and we're so focused on ourselves that we don't realize that, Jesus, that God takes that ladder and He spins it around. And while Jesus came to do what he did for us, we also know that he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us today. He's right back at the top of the food chain. Through humility, he was lifted up by God. And what happened to all those who were trying to get to the top? They find themselves back on the lower rung. Because God isn't looking for prideful people. I also want you to see there's a pursuit of servitude. Look at this part, uh, the last, uh, the middle part of chapter 7, or verse 7. It says, uh, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant. He who was the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Almighty, willingly humbled himself, became the form of a servant. All right? The servant of servants. Jesus' example. The greatest example that we could get is Jesus Christ, who leads by example. In John 13, verse 3 through 5, we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I love how Peter comes to Jesus and he tells him, he says, you shouldn't be washing my feet. Jesus, Peter understood Jesus' uh, position. I'm not so sure that he fully understand that he was God in the flesh. I know he called the Messiah, but we also know he would forsake Jesus. So I don't think he was 100% convinced, but he did know that Jesus was somebody bigger than he was. Somebody who shouldn't be washing his feet. And what does Jesus tell Peter? If you do not let me do this, you have no part with me. And of course, zealous Peter is like, Fool, well, then just wash my head and wash my whole body, wash everything. Because I want all, I want to be part with you. Jesus' example is to show us that we all must be willing to serve others regardless of our position. It doesn't matter where we are in our life. It's all about serving. The church is made up of two types of people. Those willing to serve and those willing to let them. Which one are you? It is only when we have Christ's mind of humility that ministry takes place. So this morning we have looked at the position of Christ. There's no greater position as Jesus is clearly at the top of the ladder. Which led us to our second point, the pursuit of Christ. And we see Jesus pursuing submission and servanthood. Uh, pursuit of submitting and serving shows each of us how to use our position for the good of others, rather than selfishly helping our, only ourselves. And so that brings us to our final concept, which is the passion of Christ. We see that in verse 8. Uh, in verse 8 here it says, And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So I want you to see, with regards to the passion of Christ, I want you to see a selfless passion. A selfless passion. I mean, how many of you this morning are thankful for a, for a God, are, are thankful that Jesus Christ submitted to the authority of those Roman soldiers as they led him up Mount Calvary? I am thankful for a loving God who loved us so much that he went to the cross willingly. I'm thankful that he said, not my will, but thine be done. Trust me, it, it, can't, it couldn't have been an easy thing for Jesus. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed, and he prayed so hard that the sweat was coming off of him as be, as like drops of blood. Because he was praying, God, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What about us? Are you willing to make that statement? Are you willing to say, not my will, but thine be done? You know, yesterday was hot outside. 
was doing my uh, doing a bunch of lawn work, working in the yard. I barely had time to eat dinner. I just worked so hard. I just don't think I'm going to make it to church tomorrow. Yet, not my will, but thine be done. You know what? I'll make a deal with you, God. I'm really tired, and and you know you know how hard I worked today. I worked hard for you, making my lawn look good. And God, uh, how about? You know, I just won't make it to Sunday school. I, that'll give me an extra 45 minutes to sleep in. And then, and then I'll be at main service. Yet yeah, not my will, but thine be done. God, I'm, I'm not a good reader, and I don't even like to read. And, so I, and besides, I don't have time to read your Bible, to, to read your word. I just don't have time for it. Yet not my will, but thine be done. I don't feel like being a part of the ministry. I, I'm not good with kids. I'm too old to work with kids, and I'm, I'm too stupid to teach adults. Yet not my will, but thine be done. God, I'm, I'm really not comfortable knocking on doors and inviting people to church. I, I, I can't even tell my own family and, and my friends about Jesus. How am I going to tell a total stranger? Yet not my will, but thine be done. I'm thankful for Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus is saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But it's also, I want you to see, it's also a sacrificial passion. It's a sacrificial passion. Oh, you know what? I want to go back. I want to mention one other thing. Going back to uh, this last uh, sub-point, um, the selfless passion. I want to go back to, to Jesus. I want to bring up something about Jesus giving his life for us. I, I, there was a point. If we think back to the story. Remember, remember when, I know I'm going a little long here, but hang in there with me, please. Remember when uh, Pontius Pilate told the people, look, I, I see nothing. This, wrong, this man has done nothing wrong. I'm going to scourge him and let him go. I'm going to scourge him and let him go. And, and the people still called for him to be crucified. And, and, and uh, they, they called for the release of Barabbas rather than Jesus. But what if, what if Pontius Pilate would not have gone to the Jewish people to make that decision? What if Pontius Pilate would have looked at Jesus and said, I see no fault in you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to scourge you, and then I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to let you choose whether you go free or you hang on that cross. And after that scourging and the beating he took, what if instead of hearing from the cross, it is finished, Jesus, after the scourging, said, I am done. I am done with these people. I am done taking this beating. I am done having people slap me in the face and say, prophesy, and tell me who slapped you. And besides, 2,000 years from now, my name will be used as a cuss word, and people will still be slapping me in the face. I'm done with you people, but I'm thankful. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then lastly, I want you to see it's a sacrificial passion. Uh, I want you to understand Jesus, even if given that opportunity, he still would have went to the cross. 
in this sacrificial passion, Jesus' passion was for man to be reconciled to God, and that's why he was going to go to that cross regardless. He sacrificed everything to this end. I, I did a message uh, for Father's Day out of Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham being called by God to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. And as they were walking up the mountain, Isaac says to his, fa to his father Isaac, oh, we have the wood and we have the fire, but Father, where is the sacrifice? And I love Abraham's statement back to his son. Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. God provided himself a sacrifice. It was a sacrificial passion. At a religious festival in Brazil, a missionary was going from booth to booth examining the wares. He saw a sign above one booth that said, Cheap Crosses. He thought to himself, that's what many Christians are looking for these days. Cheap crosses. My Lord's cross was not cheap. Why should mine be? Jesus tells us himself in Luke 9, verse 23, And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When we think back to what that... See, we read that today, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But when people were still being hung from a cross for a death penalty, it still meant a lot. They understood the meaning of the cross. If people were still being sacrificed or, or hung from crosses as punishment in this nation... If that was a punishment today, that cross would have a lot more meaning to us. It should have a lot more meaning if we do this in remembrance of him. We know that Jesus hung from that cross. And if we're going to take up his cross daily, it's not going to be cheap. Jesus never said it would be easy. We are going to have to make sacrifices for the ministry. But if we will strive to have the mind of Christ, we will find it is the greatest choice we ever make after accepting him as our Savior. I love what John Henry Jowett said. He's a British preacher from the late 18th and early 19th century. He said this, Ministry that costs us nothing accomplishes nothing. So Jesus says that if we will lose our self-ambition, he will honor us. If we will lose our desire for things, he will provide for us. If we will... Uh, lose our desire to control, he will give us power to follow him. And if we will lose our life, he will give us his own. Many people want to serve in positions of recognition, but few want to serve with the mind of humility and sacrifice that Jesus modeled. Only when we remember his sacrificial love for us will we be motivated to likewise humble ourselves and serve. So right now, in the quietness of your seat, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to offer just a moment of invitation. Now, we'll stand in a moment, but I would like to ask a couple questions first. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity in heaven. If that's you, 
would you just slip your hand in the air? I'd like to pray for you. No one looking around. Quietness of your seat. Well, believers, maybe you're here this morning and you know you could probably do more. You could serve more. Maybe you want, you, you felt the Holy Spirit putting upon your heart. Um, you just feel uh, God working through you in this message. God's laid upon your heart to do more, to be involved more, to have the mind of Christ, uh, to, to, to think. Not my will, but thine be done. If that's you this morning, would you slip your hand in the air? I just want to pray for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hands up all over the place. Amen. Do you have the mind of Christ? Can you say, not my will, but thine be done? And maybe God is showing you that you could do more with him or for him. So won't you surrender? Won't you submit? And won't you serve? Please stand at, at this time as the music plays, this time is yours. <laughs>